If you have a Bible, open it up to Hebrews chapter 10. We are studying the book of Hebrews this year, and uh, we're going to scoot forward this morning a little bit to chapter 10. Next week, we'll be back in chapter 1 again. But uh, we're going to be in Hebrews 10, verses 23 to 25 this morning. And also, while you're turning there, I want to make one more quick announcement. That is, Wednesdays on campus, we would love to have you come and join us at about 1130 Some of the staff and some of our leaders and students, we grab lunch out in the academic plaza out in front of the academic building, and uh, we will eat there for a little while. And so we'd love to have you guys join us. Just look for a big group of students and everybody hanging out there. Bring your lunch, and we'd love to see you there. All right, Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to start in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Would you guys pray with me? Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for each person who is here and ready to hear from your word and to learn the things that you would have to say to us. Lord, I pray that we would be guided and led by your spirit and by the things you would speak to us through the word of God, that we would not be resistant to the authority of the spirit, but that we would submit ourselves to you. Father, we pray that you would help us to understand what you have to say in the scripture. Open up our minds, Father. Remove confusion. We pray that you would move our hearts to believe. Father, often we struggle with doubt, and so I pray that you would help us to trust you. And Father, I pray that you would move us to act in your service with our hands, feet, our bodies, to do your will, as you have called us to do. Lord, we thank you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this past week on the news, I ran across an article on CNN, I think it was, about how do you gracefully unfriend somebody on Facebook. And uh, it was an interesting article. They had all kinds of tips. It went on for a couple of pages. What if it's an ex-girlfriend or boyfriend? How do you go about that? And the thing they said is don't unfriend them before you break up with them in person, right? That makes a lot of sense. Uh, There was advice about how do I unfriend an old high school friend if he's no longer in my life. And it just went on and on. How do I unfriend a boss or a former boss and all of these things. And it really got me to thinking about how the nature of our relationships has changed over the last several years, and I think largely because of things like Facebook and Twitter and all of these social media sites and uh, texting, and uh, it really made me think uh, the way that we think about relationships and community now may be a little bit different from the way that it was 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. When I graduated from high school, I remember distinctly my dad said to me, some of these people you'll never see him again. You'll never talk to him again, probably, or hear from him. They're just going to drift out of your life. Well, 20 years ago, that would have been true, but now they're all back in my life, right? Because of Facebook, they've popped back up. And so how do we uh, manage relationships and community in this whole brand new world? It used to be if somebody kind of drifted out of your life, you didn't actually have to drive over to their house and say, unfriend, right? And, And tell them officially that they're out of your life. And so Facebook, I think, and and social media, they've kind of changed the way we think about community. And to a certain extent, I think it is easier for us 
to have casual relationships with hundreds of people, but it might be harder for us to have real community with a few. To really get to know a few brothers or sisters who will walk through life with me. It's a little bit more difficult. I was at a restaurant with my family a few weeks ago and we were sitting at the table and I looked over at a table nearby us and I saw several high school students, probably late high school, and they were all sitting at a table together, but none of them was looking at one another. They all were looking down at their phones. One guy's texting, one guy is just kind of looking at it, another guy is talking, and they're all engaged, all of them, five or six of them, all engaged in their phones, although they're sitting across the table from real people. And as I saw it, I thought, man, we often are a culture that we lack for real community. We're really plugged in, but we're still really far apart. As we look at the scripture, one of the things that we see is you cannot live the Christian life without real community, real face-to-face time with other people who know you. They know more than just uh, the books and the music that you like and what kind of puppy you have and all those sort of things. They know you on a deep level and they know how to ask difficult questions. They know how to share your joys as well as your hurts because they know you. And that's going to be the challenge as we look at Hebrews this week. We started the book of Hebrews last week. And if you remember, if you were here in the book of Hebrews, the author, the unknown author, challenges his readers who are Jewish Christians to stand firm for Jesus Christ in the face of persecution and in the face of a culture that is opposed to them pursuing Jesus Christ. And as we get to chapter 10, we're going to scoot forward just a little bit this week because this kind of fits where we are in the semester. And as you guys are visiting churches and thinking about how you're going to spend your time, as we get to chapter 10, the author says the way that you can stand firm in Christ, one of the key ways you will hold fast, as he says, to your confession of Jesus Christ is by being in community with other believers. And there are some of us, perhaps, that we're going to struggle with that. As you go throughout college, you're going to struggle with that. And the reality is, it's not even quite enough to come into a big group like this and just hear the word taught. It's not quite enough to go to Breakaway and hear the word taught. It's not quite enough to listen to a podcast. Because you're hearing the word, but you are not interacting life on life with other people in this kind of a setting. And what the author of Hebrews says when he talks about getting together is we need real, live, interactive community with one another. And he's going to say, I believe that's found as we meet together in the church and we gather closely together with those who are like-minded, that want to pursue Jesus Christ. And there's a few things that he's going to say community does for us. And I'm going to walk through some of those with us this morning. A few things that it does. First of all, godly community encourages us toward correct beliefs. Look again at verse 23. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And then he's going to go right in from there on how do we stimulate one another to love and good deeds by meeting together. And his point is this, the way that we hold fast the truth about Jesus Christ is in community. This word confession, it's a Greek word, it's homologion. All right, and it, it means the idea of agreement with a norm or standard. So in other words, we get together as a group of believers, as a small group, Or as a large group and we say, I agree that Jesus Christ is the son of God. I agree that Jesus Christ died for my sins and rose again. I confess that. And he says the way we hold fast to that confession is as we draw together in real community 
and we share with one another the doubts and the struggles and the things we're feeling and the hurts and the joys and our thoughts about the scripture. And even, yes, at times the community may correct us. Our brothers and sisters in Christ may say, that's not quite right. You need to rethink your understanding of that. And from that, we grow. Some of you may have read the history of uh, what's known now as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or the Mormon Church. It started back in the 1830s. A guy named Joseph Smith was the leader of this group. And one of the most interesting things, I think, about Joseph Smith is all of this started with a claim that he had, that he had a vision. And in the vision, you know what? He said that God told him, that Jesus told him. He claims, actually, an angel came to him. An angel said, look, every church is wrong. So don't join one. Start your own thing. And so Joseph Smith starts up his little thing. And from the determination of one man to avoid submitting to the authority of others in the Christian community comes this huge group of people that denies the deity of Jesus Christ, that denies the truth of the gospel. Invariably, when when we as men and women say, you know, I'm going to go it alone. I'm going to just kind of do my Christian thing in my room or out in the woods or whatever it is, invariably, it leads toward heresy as we look historically. It leads toward men and women who are not guided by the truths of the scripture because our own hearts and minds are deceptive, perhaps above all other things. So I begin to believe what I'm thinking in my own mind or I begin to struggle with doubts about the truth and I don't take it to my friends who are godly brothers and sisters, and say, I'm wrestling with this doubt. When I was about to graduate college, I I went to school here, and I actually went to this group, and uh, toward the end of the year, one year, our college pastor allowed some students to get up, and they shared testimonies of how God had worked in their life throughout college. And they were these great testimonies of how we've been in this community, and we've grown, and we've seen God work. And then there was one guy that came up, and he stood up and he, and he said, I, I'm just here, I just came for this week. I'm just here to tell everybody here that I don't believe any of this anymore. He said, you know, I, I started having doubts. And he said, I know you haven't seen me for a while. I haven't been around, but I just came back. I just wanted you to know I don't believe any of this anymore. And I needed everybody to know that. And he walked out the door. And the guy was a friend of mine. And I had remembered him. And he was a guy that had started out well walking with the Lord in college, and he had surrounded himself with good community, but somewhere in his heart and his mind began to experience doubts, and instead of taking those doubts to men and women who could encourage him and challenge him, he drifted away from community to the point where he eventually denied the faith. And that's what Hebrews is saying. You want to hold fast for the rest of your life to the confession of Jesus Christ. You need to be in close contact with believers who will challenge you to do that. Godly community also encourages us toward righteous character. Look at verse 24. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That word stimulate, it's the same word as provoke, kind of to provoke another person or stir them up to do something. Usually we think of it in a negative context. Everybody's known a provoker. I can distinctly remember this kid in junior high that his mission in life was to try to provoke fights between other kids. And he'd try to pull you in and he'd say something to this guy. He'd go, did you know that this guy said he could beat you up? And even if it wasn't true, and then he'd come over here and say, this guy said he could beat you up. And then he'd just step out and watch the mayhem. That's a provoker. Now, what's interesting is Hebrews says uh, you can provoke one another toward love and toward good deeds. 
If you believe that the people you spend time with don't affect your character, you're mistaken. You're deluded. If you think you're immune to peer pressure, you're wrong. All of us are influenced by the people we're around. Several years ago, my parents, for my dad's job, they lived in Scotland for just a few years, uh, were transferred over there. And when they came back, I noticed that my mom was using some new uh, lingo that she had picked up over there. Uh, She would say things like, I need to go to the loo, uh, which is uh, the bathroom. She would say, um, we're going to take the lift, which is the elevator. She would refer to the trunk of the car as a boot. Now, I'm not, I I love Scotland. I visited, I love it. But I just wanted to go, mom, you're from Oklahoma, right? You, uh, (laughs) You are not Scottish. But what had happened was in this context of being around Scottish people all day, even as an adult, She was influenced to the point that her speech was influenced. The people that we're around affect the way we talk. Some of you will testify to that. Certain members of your family may have a really strong Texas accent, and when you're around them, the rest of us wouldn't understand you. You come here and your speech smooths out. The people that we're around affect our behavior. They affect the way that we act as well. This is why your parents were always so concerned about your friends in high school. Why they always wanted to know who they were, even though it annoyed you. Because your friends shape your character and your beliefs. And the best friends, as Hebrews says, that a person has are those that provoke them to righteousness. Studies show that the friends that you make in the first uh, four to six weeks of your time in college are typically those that you'll stick with for the remainder of your time. We, like, we believe in our minds that we choose our friends. The reality is that our friends are often shaped just by the situations we're in, by the people we're around. And so if I choose to be in this environment, these are going to be my friends. If I choose to be in this environment, these are going to be my friends. And so the studies show you choose your friends real early on in your college career. And so I share this at the beginning of the semester because you have a critical window now, even if you're coming back for a second, third, fourth Seventh, eighth year, however long it is, even if you're coming back after a long period of time, you have a critical window here at the beginning of the year to begin to shape the way you're going to spend your year. And the people you choose to spend time with now will probably be the people who will walk with you through the year. I was fortunate when I started college that I happened to be in a roommate situation where I had, I had a godly roommate who helped introduce me. He was a guy that was very outgoing, helped introduce me to a number of other Christian friends, many of whom are still my closest brothers today, many of whom I still sit together with and talk to about how my spiritual life is going. And and I, I can testify that those men have played a major part in my walking with God as I do to this day. So godly community encourages us toward righteous character, toward righteous character. And then thirdly, it encourages us toward a hopeful expectation. Look at verse 25. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here's what he's saying is uh, we get together and we're encouraged toward right beliefs and then right character, and then we're able to look forward and we can see a hopeful expectation that ultimately all of the troubles, all of the struggles, the temptations of this life are going to fade away because Jesus Christ is going to return. And he says, you encourage one another as you see this day drawing near, that Jesus is coming back. And so I sit together with these friends and I'm, I'm in pain perhaps because of something going on in my heart or my mind or my family or my world. And they pray with me and they, they cry with me and they encourage me. 
But then they also say, remember, this is temporary. And for those of you that are here this morning, it may be that you know Jesus Christ. It may be that you don't. And it may be that you need to hear for the first time that for those who believe in Jesus Christ, there is a perfect and unfailing and hopeful expectation that we will live eternally at peace with our God. But we are currently separated from him because we've sinned against him. And apart from some intervention, we're all destined for an eternity apart from him. But he gave his son, Jesus Christ, who died to pay the penalty of our sin and rose again. And for those who believe in him, we can have eternal life. And that's our expectation. And so as we meet together as believers, we challenge and provoke and encourage one another toward a hopeful expectation. Shortly after Shannon and I were married, we went up to New York for the summer to work at this family camp up in the Adirondack Mountains. And it was a great experience, beautiful part of the country, wonderful people that we worked at with, and uh, we loved it. And uh, one day, as we were about to uh, enter into the new week, somebody came to us and said, hey, a bunch of us are going to go climb one of these mountains tomorrow on our day off. Would you like to come with us? And uh, we talked about it, and honestly, we really didn't want to because we knew it was going to be painful But we said, all right, we'll go. We'll go for the sake of our friends. So we got in a bus, we went down there and we started climbing and and all of these other people that were with us had at least some experience climbing. Uh, We didn't. I grew up in Dallas. It was flat, right? I I could climb the steps to my house, right? One, two, that was my climbing experience. All right, these guys had lots of experience. There was one guy that was, he was supposed to be our guide and as soon as we got up the mountain, this guy took off like a little billy goat and he was gone and we didn't see him again. When we finally arrived at the top of the mountain, that guy was, he'd been up there. He had eaten his lunch. He's hanging out, you know, like, what, aren't you a guide, right? But we climbed this mountain and we were huffing and puffing. And there were moments that I just, I just wanted to lie down and just die, right? Tell everybody, just leave me here, come back and pick up my body on the way back down. And, but I'll tell you what kept me going. There were two things. One is Shannon was beside me. And I was encouraging her and she was encouraging me. We can do this. We can do this. If we don't do this, we're going to lose face for the whole rest of the summer. Keep going. But there was another guy that was there. And I still remember this guy. His name was Ozzy. And he had been there for a large part of the summer. And what was great about Ozzy was he was a great climber. He could have run up the mountain like the rest of the people did. But he stayed about 10 yards in front of us the whole time. And he'd keep going and I could still see Ozzy's pack. And so I knew I was going in the right direction. And every once in a while, he would turn around and go, you guys okay? You gonna make it? Keep going. We're almost there. Just over this ridge, right? We're almost there. And he'd keep turning back. We got up to the top and he, he was joyful with us. And he encouraged us. It was that sense of hopeful expectation that kept us going. And what the author of Hebrews says is the Christian life is is very similar. You're going to have struggles this year, whether it is at school, whether it is with your family, whether it is in your relationships with the opposite sex or just your friends or just your walk with God. And you're going to need a group of men and women to walk alongside you, people who really know you. And so my, my exhortation to you, my plea to you is, Don't go through this year anonymous. Don't go through the year or through your college career with nobody who knows you and cares for you. Without somebody who, if you don't show up for three or four weeks in a row, somebody who will call you, not because they have to, but because they love you. 
And they want to know what's going on in your life. But that requires openness and vulnerability, and it also requires proactivity. To take a step, not to sign up for everything, but to pick one or two things. I would encourage you to pick one thing at whichever church. If it's this one, we'd love to have you here. But whichever church you eventually plug into, pick one study there and maybe pick one thing on campus and focus in on those things and develop a community. We're going to break a little bit early this morning because we want to give you an opportunity just to see what we have available at Grace for you to connect into community. Some of our small groups, there's some tables set up outside for you to connect. What we're going to do here in a second is there's going to be a quick video that we're going to show that's going to talk about some of these options, and then I'll briefly lay them out. All right. Uh, just so you guys know, I don't get any kind of a raise if there's more people in these groups. All right. I don't get any kind of money when you guys sign up. Uh, I'm encouraging this because I really believe in them, because what we're trying to do is uh, help you get into a place where you can study the Word of God, get to know a community of believers, and then walk closely with God throughout your college career. Hang here after the video. I'm going to come back up for just a second, and then we'll pray and let you guys go. And, and like I said, we'll be back at the beginning of Hebrews again next week, and we'll walk straight through Hebrews for the rest of the year. But after the video, stay here for just a second. Well, quickly, I just want to share with you guys some of the options that we have. Any uh, class of 14 in here? All right, there we go. Okay, let's try that again, though. The, any class of 14 in here? Hey, hey there they are. All right. Well, we are glad to have you guys here. If you are a freshman, our freshman Bible study meets on campus. They meet in the Reed Building. That's not Reed Arena, but it's the building that is on the back of Kyle Field, the Reed Building, R-E-A-D, room 274. And they start this Wednesday at 8.30, Jason? Where are you? 8 o'clock or 8.30? 8 o'clock. Okay, 8 o'clock this Wednesday. We'd love to have you guys there. They're going to... This fall, they go through a great study that is the essentials of the Christian faith. It's a foundational study. Even if you think you know all of the foundations, I'd encourage you to go through it again. I go through it again periodically, and I love it, and I learn from it every time. And then in the spring, we're going to teach you how to study the Bible for yourself uh, from the book of 2 Timothy. So we're going to do what's called an inductive Bible study through 2 Timothy. If you are an upperclassman and you have not done essentials, that's an option. Those meet on Tuesday night, 6.30 to 8.30 across the street in the big orange and green building. We would love to have you guys do that. And then growth groups, if you've done essentials or you've been in Dulos, we're going to study the book of Colossians this semester in growth groups. And then servant team will study the book of Colossians, but then also there's a number of teams that plan all the events and take care of all the things that we have going on here. For example, There's a service team. They're the ones that set up these chairs. They organize our work projects for summer projects. There's a fellowship team, evangelism, a prayer team, international student team, and also a global vision team that'll help us plan our GO conference and our missions activities later on in the year. Um, So we'd love to have you check those out. And then uh, also we have what's called Youth Impact, which is our ministry to at-risk children here in Bryan and College Station. And uh, all of those groups have a table outside A few other groups in the church quickly. Uh, Adopt an Aggie. If you are interested in connecting with a family, like an an adult family that has kids, and you say, I want to get at least one home-cooked meal maybe a month. I want to have some place I can go do my laundry and not put quarters in and all that kind of stuff. Uh, If you are interested in connecting with a family, and also as a guy that has kids, um, I would say from the family's perspective, you guys are such a blessing. Godly college students are such a blessing as we watch you interact with our kids because 
many times I've said to my wife, I hope that my daughters and my son grow up to have the character and the walk with God that some of these students have. And so you guys are a great example as well. So it's a great opportunity to plug in with families. And also our children's ministry and our youth ministry is also seeking volunteers. Children's ministry actually also has a few paid positions available if you're looking for a part-time job. But uh, they have some tables out there as well. Um, I would encourage you, go check them out. The main thing I would say is this. We would love to have you plug in at Grace. I believe in this church. I work here because I believe in it. I believe that the Lord is moving through it. There's great things going on. Even if you choose to not get plugged in at this church, I would exhort you, plug in at a church here in the area that preaches the gospel and really get connected to godly community. And if you come for a few times and you say, you know, Grace or this college ministry really isn't fitting me, come and talk to me. I know many of the other college pastors and guys in the area, and I can help you with your particular desires and and where you are in your spiritual walk to find the right place for you. But the exhortation I would say is, uh, yes, check out what we have. We want to have you plug in. We would love to have you plug in. But I would beg of you, plug in somewhere where you don't remain anonymous so that you can walk with the Lord, hold fast the confession of hope. Would you guys pray with me and then we'll dismiss. Father, thank you so much for the word of God. We thank you for the book of Hebrews. And we want to heed the exhortation from the book of Hebrews to know you and to hold fast the confession of hope without wavering. And we know that uh, we need one another, that you've placed us all here to challenge each other as well as to be challenged to walk closely with Jesus Christ. So make us faithful to do that. We pray for each person that they would find the right opportunity here at Grace or wherever you would call them. Lord, we love you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you all next week.